0: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for this week in Oklahoma politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. The trial for the state of Oklahoma against drug maker Johnson and Johnson began on Tuesday. It started just a couple of days after Attorney General Mike Hunter announced a settlement with Teva Pharmaceuticals for eighty-five million dollars. Ryan, with only one defendant left, is this still an important case to watch?
1: This is one of the most important cases in the the state's history. It's one of the most important trials happening anywhere in the country right now. I mean, the the legal eyes of the nation, the pharmaceutical companies, the healthcare industry, everybody's looking at Norman, Oklahoma right now in Judge Baugman's courtroom. There is it's difficult to think of a more consequential legal matter that that's come in, in contemporary times in Oklahoma history. And if you watch, and, and you can watch this full trial, I encourage folks, it's going to, it's going to be on for six to eight weeks, folks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unless there's some sort of a settlement, something happens you know, sooner than then, this, could, this trial could go for six to eight weeks, you know, every day of the week, multiple hours, and, you know, eight-hour days. <clears throat> the, the testimony is compelling, it's riveting, the opening statements, I mean, this is the best lawyers uh, in the state, in the country, all in one courtroom, it's game seven, and <clears throat> if you... Uh, want to see what you know, top lawyering looks like if you want to see what a big time trial looks like you just tune in you can watch um so ev- everybody in the state of Oklahoma has an opportunity to see this. The settlements, you know, this, you know, the, the issues are basically the same. You know, Johnson & Johnson is being alleged here to, to create a public nuisance, and, and what the Attorney General says is one of the greatest, not, not one of, the greatest public health crisis in the nation.
0: Neva?
2: Oh, absolutely, and I think it is fascinating, as you say, Ryan, that uh, the public has the opportunity, thanks to Judge Balkman agreeing to allow cameras in the uh, mm-hmm. courtroom, to be able to really see this and have the complete view of the proceedings and really have have a firsthand uh, glimpse into this very complex subject matter but I think as we've seen it is it is on the national stage it's been 15 years since we've seen this type of high-profile uh, courtroom, <clears throat> Uh, setting uh, for Oklahoma, and I think that the fact that that it's on the major uh, news outlets and and on the front pages of newspapers around the world—I mean, we really are uh, uh, set up to have a very significant uh, significant seven or eight weeks uh, as this as this uh, uh, whole proceeding unfolds. I think it's also important to note that. Uh, that this is the first trial of more than two thousand uh, cases mm-hmm. that are that uh, have been uh, uh, brought forward by states, municipalities, uh, Indian tribes. I mean, uh, there there uh, the implications, as you say, are so profound in terms of what will happen moving forward, and especially with the backdrop of what we've already seen happen with these other pharmaceutical companies settling mm-hmm. uh, uh, prior to Johnson and Johnson. Will it be a case where they go through a long trial? They they see what happens. Happens. Will there will there be a settlement uh, uh, beforehand? I mean, I think there's a lot of drama in this, and certainly we're talking about billions of dollars. Some um, uh, in the in the opening. Uh, the attorneys for the state, I mean, basically have said that it's between 12 and and 18 billion dollars over 20 mm-hmm. to 30 years to be able to abate uh, the opioid uh, problems just in Oklahoma. So, I mean, we're talking uh, we're talking something that is on a scale that most people have a hard time, I think, even comprehending.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's bigger than the state's budget this yeah. year. I mean, you know, we we appropriated eight eight billion dollars this year in the state legislature. It could be double the state's budget so It could budget be double the state's budget. And you know, this is this is a bench trial, so they're trying this in front of a judge. They're not trying it in front of a jury. But you have to remember Judge Bachman, super smart guy, but he is not an expert in you know pharmaceuticals, he's not an expert in the way, you know, brain chemistry works or neuroscience. So the lawyers on both sides are teaching the judge here. I mean, this this is an effort to teach the judge. So if if you really want to understand I mean, this is gonna be the most comprehensive demonstration of evidence against the opioid uh, companies and and pharmaceutical companies and a demonstration of evidence about the significance and scope of the opioid epidemic in the United States that's ever been put on anywhere. And so your ability to tune in and watch this, it's not, I mean, there are going to be some slides I'm sure that people see and scratch their head and say, what the heck is that? But it's all got to be uh, directed in a way that Judge Bachman can ultimately understand that. And even though he's a really smart guy, I believe that a lot of Oklahomans can tune in and watch that and get that same education as well and, and begin to draw a lot of conclusions as to you know, what kind of culpability Johnson & Johnson had here. And then Oklahomans, I think, ultimately, as this litigation goes on around the country, they're going to have to think, you know, did we yeah, in the state of Oklahoma make a good decision in settling out those early cases against Purdue and, and, and others before Johnson & Johnson ultimately went to trial?
0: Going to that, do you think there's yeah. going to be more settlements afterward now that uh, this is all public now? So yeah. do you think there's going to be more pharmaceutical companies? Well, I don't want to be in the same position that Johnson Johnson is. I
1: mean, we're, you know, <clears throat> we're taping right now on day three uh, mm-hmm. of the trial. And it's difficult to say right now. I don't think that I don't think that three days in they're saying, man, this is just terrible. We're going to we're going to, you know, we're going to fold. Uh, around the country. But, you know, uh, Attorney General Hunter, said that he was quoting one of his favorite presidents, John F. Kennedy. He said, you know, never never negotiate out of fear, but don't be afraid to negotiate. And so I I think that there's a possibility with Johnson & Johnson in this particular case that they could begin those talks maybe a week, two, three weeks in around the nation right now. I think you're probably not going to see a lot of movement until there's some sense of how this trial is going to come out. Everybody's watching this. And, you know, whether you're somebody, I mean, I've seen stories of people that had Um, You know, loved ones die of opioid overdoses from other states traveling to Oklahoma to watch this trial to get a sense of what it feels like here because they know that those same things are going to be happening in their states. Well,
2: and it's interesting, too. I mean, never before have any of these pharmaceutical companies had the exposure in terms of the information that mm-hmm. will be out there. Uh, I mean, the the fact that the, the state attorneys brought forward in, uh, in the uh, uh, early, uh, kind of early arguments that uh, Johnson & Johnson had, in fact, mounted a very aggressive uh, marketing campaign uh, to increase sales that targeted doctors, nurses, uh Patients, uh, even the media and lawmakers in terms of how they had uh, tried to exert their influence. And then the flip side of Johnson & Johnson saying that they really, they have no, uh, they they bear no responsibility, you know, in this issue. So there is a, a, a very uh, significant amount of information that the, I think that's going to come out that does uh, hold uh, implications for future uh, trials
0: and some of these other suits. Right. I thought it was interesting. Johnson Johnson basically blaming the state, basically right, saying yeah. you, it's not our fault it, you 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 didn't regulate us. That you have. That's that it's the only contributory on negligence. Yeah. I mean, it's
1: it's an interesting defense that they're bringing here. They're saying, okay, even if what we did was bad, uh, even if it did create you know all of this you know this <clears throat> this public health epidemic that we're dealing with, the state of Oklahoma knew about this and they knew about it for a very long time, and you're just now coming after us, and you know so. I, I don't know how much, you know, I don't put a lot of credibility in that. That's that's not persuasive to me, but it is an interesting defense. And, you know, for them to be able to point the finger at the state and say, where have you been? You're the regulators here. You're the lawmakers here. You're the policymakers here. And you're trying to put all of this on our shoulder. At the very least, the state should shoulder, you know, a part of the blame. I mean, I think that that's where they're going with this.
0: Lawmakers finished work on the 2019 legislative session one week before they were constitutionally required to end it. So, just wondering how you think they did. Neva, Neva, let's start with you.
2: <laughs> well, I think all in all, uh, it was a positive, constructive session. I mean, the governor, uh, in his uh, in his first session, wanted some some big wins, wanted to have some things that he could point to. Uh, certainly got some of the things that he wanted from day one as he took office. Uh, and I think as we as we came to the end of session there was um uh, unfortunately kind of a, a jammed up process as we often see where in the instance particularly of criminal justice reform that the governor you know uh, had made one of his centerpieces that <laughs> that we didn't see much happen at all except in the last uh, the last bill that the senate actually heard was 780 the uh, the retro uh 1269 re- or, uh, yeah 1269. that's right that's right dealing with that and so i think that uh, and i think you have to assume that there was a little bit of a push by the governor you know to even make make that happen mm-hmm. since it had had really stalled so i think i think we had a lot of uh, a lot of interesting dynamics but at the end of it what you had i think that was most interesting from just the budgeting and the appropriations process is that you had the, uh, the house and the Senate uh, chairs, the appropriations chairs uh, really not only making sure that the, the, that they had this kind of smooth (laughs) budget uh, budget process as, much smoother than we've mm-hmm. seen in, in many years past, but that they actually had these trailer bills where they were giving the agencies very sp- specific direction on how a lot of this money was going to be spent. That was particularly true mm-hmm. in education, DHS, uh, ag, and some of these areas. And I think that I think that is something that's going to be noteworthy as we move forward.
1: Right. I mean, certainly smoother than last year. I mean, we, we're, we're out of here. We don't yeah. have a special session. Nothing's on the horizon for a special session. You know, they passed a budget. The budget was improved from years before because of revenue that had come in with revenue measures that were passed during the last legislative session. So that's, those are all some really good things. I think that, you know, there's there's a lot to be said that the budget, even at over $8 billion, largest budget in state history, still lags well behind where that budget would be 10 years ago if we adjust that, you know, 10, 10 years ago, that budget for inflation. You know, in today's terms, you know, we're still, you know, uh, looking at a lot of agencies, including education, that are dealing with significant cuts. So education got a boost, you know, through the funding formula. A lot of that's going to go to teacher pay raises. That's a big win. But at the same time, education still well below. You know, mental health still well below. Department of corrections still well below. Department of transportation. All these places. In the state where we have underinvested, and at the same time, we saw two hundred million dollars invested into the saved in the rainy day fund. I mean, a lot of people look at that as a prudent measure. But you put that money, and it wasn't actually the rainy day fund. It was the, uh, it was the what's the what's the fund called now? The the one that Senator Holt or then Senator Holt, now Mayor Holt created. It's really hard to get that money out. So we put (laughs) that two hundred million dollars over here, and when when we you know it's it's hard to save money whenever we've got a lot of debts to pay. know, Representative Bennett made that point on the floor you know the earned inti- the earned income tax credit that helps you know low income oklahomans cost about 30 million dollars a year it was cut last year wasn't reinstated this year medicaid expansion didn't happen so we're we're continuing to see uh, and then criminal justice reform, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But criminal justice reform had a lot of momentum that just ground or halt right at the end.
0: While there was money put in the savings account, that actually does help us when we go towards bonds. When we try to create bonds, it'll help our credit rating. So that's a lot of the, the, the answer that a lot of the leaders were saying. Put money in the savings so we can give, do better in getting bonds. I think bonds that's and, right,
2: and I think there's, there is there is a difference of opinion always on whether that's a, a, a good move or not. Mm-hmm. But when you look at some of the other things, they restored full, fund, uh, full funding to the eight-year uh, construction plan. They fully funded the uh, roads and bridges, uh, the county roads and bridges program, significant correctional officers who have gotten the short end of the stick time and time again, got not one, but two pay raises. I mean, they got the one that all state employees got, but they also got the increased uh, hourly uh, pay uh pay that was uh was passed so those are those are definitely significant measures and i think what we saw is the kind of the ship turning i mean if we've had we've had a very difficult uh, several years and now i think as we're coming out of this it is uh the intention of this governor, it would seem, and legislative leadership to be very prudent in how they move forward in trying to address a long list of issues that are going, going to come up, not only that we're in this session, but certainly are, are not on the back burner, but going to come up next session. Yeah. I think the only other thing, you know, talking about a special session, I'm not so certain that uh when we when we look at the just the devastation from the uh, uh the flooding yeah, and yeah, and all that we've true. got going yeah. on that there that there very well may be the need for the legislature to be called back in i mean the numbers are staggering i mean we're we, i i i heard a figure that just in the tulsa area of kind of CD congressional district uh, first congressional district area alone that that number is over 800 million that they're that mm-hmm. they're looking at so i i think that's one component and whether or not later in the summer or the fall the governor chooses to call a special session maybe for an issue such as medicaid expansion if they want to really deal with this outside the next legislative session and have something that they want to bring forward in advance that might uh, uh, kind of preempt the uh, the need for the public to make their decision final at the ballot box, or have an alternative at the ballot box. So I think there's some some interesting uh, factors in play there as well.
1: Well, and you're right with the natural natural disaster. I mean, it's just been you know devastating almost all corners of the state and. Yeah. Frankly, the state legislature may be able to act faster than the federal government. That's, I mean, right. You know, right, that's now, right. Right now. Where it's, they can it's come
2: in in five days. They, they can, can do their business days, and be can, gone. They can direct you know.
1: because those folks need immediate relief. They need they need federal uh, assistance and, and the kind of money that federal assistance can bring. But we're seeing that you know held up in Congress with a bunch of uh, ancillary fights over border wall funding. Right. And, right. and so that's. That's really disappointing. I think Oklahoma's delegation is doing what they can to to get around that and get get relief to our folks here. But at the same time, you know, the politics in Washington are really holding up you know mm-hmm. dollars that need that we need right here in Oklahoma.
0: What no, You wanted to talk about uh, the correctional, uh, yeah, criminal yeah, justice, justice reform. just we just fell apart. There was one bill that one really bill. passed. And, and let's
1: you know I, before we before we get into the, the Debbie Downer part of this, let's let's, <laughs> let's you
0: know House Bill
1: twelve sixty nine is a big deal. Yes. Senator Roger Thompson. He's become a real leader in criminal justice reform, chairman of appropriations in the state senate. He carried this bill last year, and everybody said there's no way in, uh, in heck that this is going to happen. We're on, on radio. We're uh, radio. Senator Vice carried it this year. Representative Dunnington over in the House carried it. and And here it is, this bill that went from a non-starter passes around 900 people over the next several months, probably released from prison. They're going to have felonies reduced to misdemeanors. Tens of thousands of people that have felonies on their record are going to be eligible to have those felonies reduced to misdemeanors, opening them up to a ton of opportunities with housing, student loans, jobs. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, I, I can't think of another time in state history that that many people uh, are affected immediately by a piece of legislation. So it's a big deal, but it's, it's backward looking. And so we had forward-looking legislation that would have you know, taken people out of jails that are there simply because they can't afford to bail out. We would have had you know, sentencing reforms that would have you know, uh, balanced the scales that DAs currently have against the accused in the state of Oklahoma. Everything from possession with intent to distribute, some defining language there to define what that actually means instead of it just being at the discretion and the whim of the district attorney, to jury sentencing reform big deals and they all just ground to a halt uh you know bail reform failed in the house by i think six votes two days before they adjourned and the effort to bring it back up failed i think it's you know potentially could come back up next Mm -hmm. session um you know retroactivity was over in the in the senate it was just stalled there and i think that neva you're right the governor did intervene i think that he recognized the house as we were taping last week remember i I said i was getting text messages that the house was gearing up to adjourn and I think that the governor at that point, while we were having this meeting, was meeting with Senate leadership and House leadership and said something has to happen. The Senate wanted the House to pass bail reform so that both chambers would do something that mm-hmm. they would pass And the, the Senate would pass 1269 retroactivity of state question 780. And the House adjourned. And I think the governor is like, I don't care about this, you know, this <laughs> this interchamber deal or intra-chamber inter intra-chamber <laughs> politics somebody passes something. Yeah. And I think that the governor and Senator Treat, uh, you know, I think John Eccles played a, a big role in, in helping move a lot of that stuff forward. And so, you know, we ended up in a situation where 1269 did get hurt. It was the last bill. But to look at the momentum around criminal justice reform that was just squandered this year. I mean, we, we passed really a shadow of the kind of reforms that were out there. The governor's got this task force coming up in the fall. But if you look at the members of that task force, it's the same old folks. And, you know, the the people that really need to be at the table really aren't in that task force, at least in numbers that they ought to be. I hope that the governor, between now and the time that that task force convenes, will reconsider the people that are on that task force and make sure that anything that comes out of that really does not just try to reinvent the wheel because we've invented the wheel here we know what's going on but really comes together as a coalition to push the reforms that are already on the table
2: well and i think even though this task force will have a job to do i think what we've seen is the governor uh, is going to do his own is going to do do his own due diligence he's going to have his folks that are going to uh, continue to uh, really analyze and and come up with the options for him to consider on these big issues and i think the uh, the next eight months leading into the next session will be very significant as he gets these uh, folks in place and, and tries to really tackle some of these big, big ticket items, so to speak, uh, in advance of an election year. When we know when lawmakers come back in, they very quickly have on their mind that it's it's a very few weeks before they're filing, if they're running for re-election. And it's just a different, it's a different climate in an election year than what we just came out of with this session.
0: And House Bill 1269 was signed by the governor. He's been signing several bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neva, did any of the other stand out out to you I
2: I, I don't think there have been any surprises I think the, I think it was interesting that there was one veto uh, that uh, that he did that was on a, a DHS infrastructure revolving fund bill which mm-hmm. you wouldn't think I mean that's kind of inside baseball and mm-hmm. nobody pays much attention or cares unless they're you know in an agency or being directly affected but what was significant is he also line item vetoed in the in the budget it's in the appropriations itself and you're talking about uh, I think it was 16 million dollars and Basically, in the veto message, what he said was that uh, he wanted some collaboration between uh, the, legis- the, the legislative uh, branch and uh, his uh, office and and the agency to kind of work through how these monies were being spent. I think my upshot mm-hmm. takeaway is, uh, is this going to be kind of the, the new day of how these agencies are going to begin to function in terms of uh, – Um, these new folks being placed in in, at the helm and what they're going to do. And clearly there's going to be a lot of interaction and a lot of, uh, Uh, conversation between the governor's office and these uh, agency heads cabinet secretaries in terms of how they want to move these agencies forward particularly these huge agencies where we've got tens of thousands of state employees and we've got a big job that they're mandated required Mm -hmm. to do in terms of uh, of services that they should uh, they should be in a position to uh, do well and I think that's going to be fascinating to watch as we move through the summer into the fall what comes out of some of these uh, what comes out of some of these new appointees and terms of their direction,
1: right? In, uh, Neva went inside baseball. I'm going to go inside baseball yeah. too. <laughs> we're gonna, four day school week. You know, we'll, we'll let we'll let the we'll let the big papers cover that stuff. We're going to go into the weeds here, people. You know, House Bill 2601. You know, we talk about medical marijuana. They, there was the Unity Bill passed this right. year, but there are other pieces of legislation dealing with the medical marijuana in the industry in the state of Oklahoma. House Bill 2601 actually cleans up a problem that the Unity Bill created. So. For years in Oklahoma, we talk about we want to attract people to our state. Well, whenever medical marijuana passed, when State Question 788 passed, people just started selling their homes in places like Colorado and moving to Oklahoma. (laughs) I mean, really. I mean, and it's the first time. It's like, oh, wow, people really are moving here to be a part of this industry, raise their families here, be Oklahomans. And uh, the unity bill that was passed earlier this year Said you know, created a definition of residency that you had to have before you could get a medical marijuana business license. And it said that you had to have residency, one of the, the, the most lenient of the definitions was res, a resident for two years prior to the application. Well, we had people that moved here right after the 788 passed, applied for business licenses because there weren't residency applications then other than the fact that they lived here. I mean, they had voter registration cards, you know, homes, all that stuff, but they hadn't been here for two years. Their licenses were going to come up for renewal prior to that two year period under the unity bill. So we had people that had licenses that were in a real bind. House Bill 2601 uh, saves that, and the grandfather's in those folks that already got those licenses. So, you know, there was this point where we'd recruited (laughs) all these folks here, and we said, well, you're only going to be here for a year because, you know, your licenses are potentially going to be revoked. There would have been a legal battle there, but nobody should have had to pay for that. So House Bill 2601 is a big win for medical cannabis businesses.
0: I do want to talk Senate Bill uh, 975 real quick because it it speeds up and standardizes the rape kits, uh, which has been a big deal. It's been in the news for the past year. And finally, uh, they did actually get through at the last minute, and the governor did sign a bill that basically makes it so that we can get these taken care of better what are your thoughts on that bill
1: you know better late than never i mean it's yeah. it's it's a shame that it's had to take this long but i'm, I'm glad that we we got leadership together to get that deal passed and i think that uh, you know the state of oklahoma will be better for it
0: absolutely right. and ryan and eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the aclu klsu its staff or management